Ever since I was a child, I felt a strong connection to the forest. Not the mountains, or the ocean, or even nature in general, but the forest. Wind flowing through a vast sea of pine bristles appeared to speak my name in the form of an endless whisper. It always called to keep me near, keep my attention, and hold my heart. I love the forest, and I know, with the conviction of God himself, that the forest loved me. It always has. Growing up on a small ranch in Montana, there wasn't much. Just me, my mom and dad, the animals, and a big green field surrounding our tiny house. At the edge of the field stood a dense tree line of tall, thick, ponderosa pines. At this very defined boundary was where our world ended and its began. I love being in there, among the trees, the rocks, the dirt. Even when I went to sleep at night, I dreamed about being back in the forest. It was the only place I felt comfortable, the only place I felt safe. Living on a ranch isn't exactly easy. It's hard work. You gotta get up early in the morning, feed the sheep, feed the chickens, milk the cows. And with my dad being the man he was, if you didn't give it everything you got, he'd get angry. I mean real angry and he'd show you how angry. The only way he knew how. Like I said, it's hard work. But we coped. My mom was the exact opposite. She was practically an angel. That woman had the patience of a saint. And I don't know how she put up with my dad for all those years, but she did. And I guess that makes her a lot better than me. One year, when I was about 12, my dad found a patch of baby spruce trees not far beyond the tree line. I always knew it was there, but never thought anything of it. As soon as he found it, he had the idea of cutting them down and selling them as Christmas trees during the holidays. I didn't want him to, and I didn't want to help. But what could I do? What he said went. It was September when he found them, and he planned to cut them down in the beginning of December. Those three months leading up to the holidays was one of the most agonizing times of my life, because not only did I know what he was going to do, but the forest knew. Right after he told me his plan, the forest stopped calling my name. Cold winds blew against me whenever I approached the tree line, and my nights were full of darkness and sorrow. I tried to dream about being under the tall pines, embraced by their safety, but I was banished, not only from entering physically, but even from entering in my own mind. 
the cold silence emanating from beyond the tree line was unbearable. And I was willing to do anything to make it right. December finally came, and my dad and I went out to chop down the baby spruces. The shame I felt, hacking away at each and every one of those trees, was almost too much to handle. I apologized again and again, while tears streamed down my face. But I was only met with silence, and that's what hurt the most. My dad sold the trees and was a really happy man that Christmas. He drank a lot that year, way more than usual, and became jollier than he ever had been. The thing is, with my dad, happiness wasn't an emotion shared. The happiness was all his, even if he thought he was sharing it with you. He wasn't. That Christmas, he got me a brand new axe with my name engraved on the handle. Maybe he thought it was something I'd use in the future. Either way, I didn't like it. I went to sleep crying each night after that Christmas. I wanted to return. Return to the place where I felt most at home. But there was still silence. No wind. No whispers. No dreams. Nothing. Until one night, the forest spoke to me again. After all this time, it spoke. In my dream, I was beckoned to the tree line in the dead of night. Cool breeze blowing gently on my back, coercing me into the darkness of the wood. I stepped in to find the pitch black, not dark at all. The forest held its own kind of light, visible only to those connected to it, and no one else. The wind brushed against every branch of every tree, tickling every bristle, and saying my name in a way only one who truly loves you could. It spoke to me in a language only we could understand, and I felt love beyond anything comprehensible in our human world. It wanted me back. It wanted me to show my commitment. And that's all I wanted too. But it also wanted something more. It wanted blood. I woke up not knowing how to feel. On the one hand, excitement filled my heart as being embraced by the forest's tender consciousness was something I missed greatly. But on the other, its grave request was not to be taken lightly, and fear crept in where happiness should have resided. I didn't know what I was going to do, but all I could think about was where I could get blood. Later that week, we had chickens that needed to be slaughtered. Normally, I would wring their necks before hanging them upside down and then cut their heads off to drain them. I still did that, but this time I put a bucket underneath them to collect the blood. After the chickens were drained, I hid the bucket in the barn where my dad wouldn't find it. If he did, I'd get more than an interrogation. He'd beat me for hiding things. There was no way I could tell him why I had it either. 
If I did, he'd beat me even worse. Before supper, I snuck out to the barn. I grabbed the bucket of blood and brought it out to the tree line. A soft breeze blew gently against my back, corralling me lightly into the forest. I went up to the largest pine tree I saw and began to pour the warm chicken blood slowly down its trunk. The blood soaked into the tree like water into a sponge, and the forest exhaled a deep breath of relief. I heard my name, and I felt appreciated. I was back in the forest, and the forest was back in me. I did this as often as I could, and every time, I felt love in the wind as it grazed over my skin. I slept knowing that just outside my window, the whole forest and everything in it was thinking about me, waiting for me to give it exactly what it needed. We were so connected, it was like we knew each other's thoughts, each other's feelings, such a privilege to never experience loneliness and to be in complete synchrony with something so much greater than yourself. This connection meant everything to me, but it also worried me because I could feel the forest's hunger grow. Soon, what I was giving wasn't enough. It wanted more. It wanted more now. In my sleep, the forest spoke to me. It said that the blood would no longer suffice. It wanted something alive to consume. It wanted fresh meat. I couldn't give it anything from the farm. My dad would notice. Honestly, I was surprised I'd gotten away with the blood for so long. I had to look somewhere else. At school, we had mice and frogs. There were 12 mice, and I figured I could take one without anyone noticing. So I did, and I brought it home secretly to give to the forest. In the tool shed next to the barn, I sought to kill the mouse first with a small spade before feeding it to the trees. Right before I did, the wind blew softly and said one word. I walked toward the tree line with the still living mouse in my hand. I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen next, but the mouse trembled and shook in place as if it did. Among the trees, I placed the mouse on the ground it didn't run away. It just sat there, seemingly petrified. Just then, a group of small roots began to breach upward from the forest floor. They slowly encapsulated the small mouse and held it tightly to the ground. The mouse didn't fight. The mouse didn't move. It didn't even make a sound. From a small gap between the roots, its tiny little black eye stared up at me. And if the mouse could speak, 
it would ask me why. I did this again with two more mice and a frog. It was starting to get noticeable that there were animals missing. That's why one day, I decided to knock their cage over and grab as many mice as I could. If I made it look like an accident, no one could question the number of missing mice. So one day, right before school ended and we were about to go home, I knocked over the cage full of mice and stuffed three in my backpack before anyone could see what happened. My classmates screamed and the teacher ran over to catch as many as she could to put back into the cage. I'm sorry, Mrs. O'Connell, I said in a panic. That's all right, she said. Hurry up and go before you miss your bus. On the bus, I sat with the three mice in my bag, quietly squeaking and squealing as I held it close. Three boys from my class sat a few seats behind me. They looked at me and talked quietly to themselves as they did. I didn't know what they were saying, but I knew they were talking about me. When I got off at my bus stop and started to walk home, I noticed they got off too and followed a short distance behind me. I got real nervous because I knew those boys lived a lot further down the road and the only reason they got off just then was to follow me. The more I walked, the closer they got behind me. One of them said, Hey Damien, what's in the bag? I started walking faster. Another one said, We saw you take the mice. Then the third one threw a rock at me. I ran off down the road as fast as I could, hoping I could get to my house before they caught up to me. Within a few seconds, it was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen. So I darted off the road and into the trees. I sprinted aimlessly into the forest, and as I did, a gust of wind flowed up alongside me, like a great inhale from the forest itself. No words needed to be spoken for the forest to tell me. I was safe here. As the boys chased closely behind, they threw more rocks and laughed, amused by my fear. I climbed up a steep rock ledge, and when I got to the top, I saw something that made my heart drop straight into my stomach. Two gray wolves, with their teeth barred and growling, walked slowly toward me. I froze in place, certain that they were going to jump on me and rip me apart. But instead, they just walked right past me, as if I wasn't even there. As the three boys approached the rock ledge, laughing with stones in hand, the wolves peered over the top down at them, growling as they did. The boys below dropped their stones and screamed in terror before the wolves leapt off of the ledge and chased them in the other direction. Too scared to imagine what was going to happen next, I ran deeper into the woods and toward my house. When I got home, I stayed in my room for the rest of the day, staring out the window and into the tree line terrified of what might be happening. As the sun set peacefully behind the tall ponderosas, a light breeze made its way from the forest, through my window, and said,
The next day, school was canceled. The police said with wild wolves roaming the area, it was unsafe for kids to be unattended. Later in the day, the police made a visit to my house and asked what I was doing in the woods with the three other boys. At first, I said we were playing, but when the officer said one of the boys told him that they were chasing me on account of what they saw me do at school, I had to fess up about the mice. The look in my dad's eyes when I told that police officer I stole the mice was so angry, I knew I was going to get it later. I just said I didn't know why I took them. Then the officer asked if I saw the wolves, to which I said yes. He asked why the wolves didn't attack me, to which I replied, I don't know. Honestly, I did know. I just wasn't going to tell him that. Before he left, I asked what happened to the other boys. He said one was in critical condition at the hospital, and the other two were dead. Fear began creeping into my heart. First, for what the forest was capable of doing on my behalf, and second, for the strapping I was going to get from my dad. That one was bad. I couldn't sit down for three days after that night. This was around the time things started getting really terrible at home. My dad was drinking a lot. I mean, a lot more. And he was getting angrier. He didn't let me go into the forest anymore either. The only time I was allowed out of the house was to do chores. From the field around my house and from my bedroom window, I gazed into the darkness beyond the tree line. It wanted me back and it wanted something else. I just tried to ignore it. The beatings became more frequent, more violent. Over the simplest things too, like bringing in a cracked egg or dropping a crumb of bread on the floor. The only time I could escape it was in my sleep. At night, I dreamt about being in the forest, running through the trees, letting the moonlight shine down on me as I lay on top of a big rock. But of course, I would wake up and the nightmare would begin. Just because I couldn't go into the forest didn't mean I couldn't feel it. I knew its desires. I knew what it wanted. That's when it happened. The night it all happened. We were all at the dinner table. Me, my mom, and my dad. He sat there, red in the face, breathing fire. Everything was quiet. I was nervous, afraid because it felt like something horrible was about to happen. I didn't know what, but something was coming. I reached over to get some butter for my corn, and as I brought it to my plate, my elbow knocked a fork off the table. Damien! My dad yelled. Craig, enough! My mom pleaded. His eyes fixated on her with the scorn of a thousand demons. She stared back at him with fright in her soul and they just looked at each other for a second. He hit her across the face as hard as he could, and my mom just fell to the floor and started sobbing. He pointed his finger sternly at me and said, You're next! 
Then he stomped around the table toward my mom and raised his hand again. Before he could do anything, I grabbed his bottle off the table and ran out the back door and into the pouring rain. I heard him shout from the back porch. I ran as hard as I could, straight through the field and toward the tree line. He ran after me, and when I made it into the forest, I hid behind the biggest pine tree and waited. Damien, get over here, you little shit! I'm gonna teach you some manners you're never gonna forget. He trudged through the mud, looking for me. Then he saw the bottle, sitting on the roots of a tree in front of him. Goddamn little bastard! He picked up the bottle and took the cap off to take a swig. Just as he did, I crept up behind him with the axe he gifted me for Christmas that one year. As I raised it above my head, I felt my name engraved on the handle press up against my palm. He cocked his head back to let the whiskey slide into his mouth, and I struck down on it with everything I had. His body hit the ground, and I bashed my axe into his head again, and again, and again. I didn't want him anymore. I wanted the forest to have him, and keep him. After that, I went back into the house and told my mom everything I did. She hugged me, and held me in my soaking wet clothes until the police showed up. I told them everything. Everything about the forest, the blood, the mice, the wolves, and my dad, laying dead just beyond the tree line. They took me away that night. I was only 14, so they brought me here. And here is where I've been ever since. I'm 31 now. I think. I don't know. It's hard to keep track of time. I have to eat these yellow and orange pills. I don't like the way they make me feel, but... Those are the rules. It's not so bad here. The nurses are nice. I get to go outside once a day. And from my bedroom window, I have a very nice view of the forest. It doesn't talk to me anymore, though. When the wind blows, I just hear the breeze. But sometimes, I wonder if, just if, somewhere in the wind, in the pine bristles, in the branches, in the trees, if the forest is calling my name. I don't know. I probably never will.